Hype Beast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Hey everyone, this is Jeff Staple. So for this week, I'm excited to bring you kind of a special bonus episode. So Adidas has been working on this really cool initiative called Maker Lab. Essentially what they've done is they have worked with three footwear designers from around the planet, Helen Kirkham, Alex Nash, and Shun Hirose, and allowed them to work in both the Adidas headquarters in Germany, as well as their factories in and around Vietnam. They were tasked to design rapid prototype and create completely new Campus 80 sneakers that would then be brought to market. We're talking about taking a process here that normally takes years and condensing it down into weeks. It's pretty crazy. And on top of that, the way they're releasing them is also crazy. So these shoes have no MSRP on them like all other shoes in the market. These are released via an IPO on StockX. So through a blind auction, people get to determine what they want to pay for the shoe. And the public ultimately determines what will be the going rate for them. So as you can see, there are many, many firsts across the board here. So I have worked with Adidas now to allow us to do a special live taping of the business of hype inside their super secret Brooklyn creator farm. The three creators were flown in to speak in front of an audience of design students from around the city. So what you're about to hear is pretty special and awesome. And make sure you stick around until the very end for when I get to recap postmortem with key Adidas heads on how they thought this entire crazy project went down. All right, let's get into this week's special episode live from the Brooklyn Creator Farm, the making of Adidas Maker Lab. What's up, everyone? My name is Jeff Staple. I'm the founder and creative director of a company called Staple Design. Um, I also have a podcast called The Business of Hype that's on Hype Beast. Uh, the premise of the podcast is really to talk about creative entrepreneurs and how they go about doing their business in this day and age of like ever-changing, shifting culture. It's a pretty good show. We've got some great guests on it. It's in my seventh season. Um, and what you're sitting in right now is a very special live taping of The Business of Hype. So you guys, whether you like it or not, are on an episode of The Business of Hype right now, right? Uh, at the end of this whole thing, we're going to be doing audience Q&A. So this is your chance to also have a voice on the podcast too, which should be pretty cool. Um, what you're sitting in right now happens to be what's known as the Adidas Brooklyn Creator Farm, which in the footwear world 
is like the Wizard of Oz, like mecha secret lab of where really cool futuristic stuff comes out of the Three Stripes land. Um, and you know, having the opportunity for you guys to even see this place, you should consider yourselves really lucky. I feel really lucky that we could even do a podcast out of here, so it's really such a dope opportunity that we're here. And the reason why that we're here is because we wanted to tell you guys about this new thing that Adidas has been working on called Maker Lab. And in all honesty, it actually isn't that new. It's actually been around since, I think, 2016, and it's existed in many different forms. Um, one of the forms that has existed in is within Adidas headquarters. So if you ever have the opportunity to go to the global headquarters in Herzo, uh, Germany, or Portland, uh, they have maker labs within their facilities that are for the internal staff to be able to just really create and freeform ideate on stuff, really get out of like 2D thinking of like pen and pad and actually go in there and get their hands dirty or maybe even get their hands bloody if they're, if they're lucky, uh, and really be able to make stuff. Then what Adidas did was they started taking the Maker Lab concept to market to public facing. So if you're lucky enough to be at Paris Fashion Week or at Hype Fest, there are certain festivals and, and sort of large uh, events where they, they put a mobilized version of Maker Lab and allowed people to really experience it firsthand. And now the latest iteration, iteration of Maker Lab is what we're about to launch tonight right here. And part of that involves three makers that Adidas has selected from all around the world. Those three makers are in the building. They have spent the last few months ideating, designing, and making shoes with Adidas in what is the fastest, most unpre unprecedented methodology of making shoes ever. Uh, all the way from the design process, to the sampling process, to the manufacturing process, even to the selling process, all of it is very, very first-hand, first-ever stuff that's happening, uh, and we wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, we also have some select Adidas staff that were integral in making this process a reality, and they're gonna be here as well, and then we'll open it up to you guys for questions. So let's get started. Let's bring out the three makers of the Adidas Maker Lab. We can just campfire, sit around it. You can sit here. Sorry. You can sit here. <laughs> yeah, sit, come closer. And then, yeah. Is this good? Yeah. Great. All right. Welcome, Hello. everyone. Thank you. Welcome to the Business Vibe. Welcome to Brooklyn Creator Farm. Um, let's start with uh, introductions of who you are and what you do, going from my left. Uh, yeah, so I'm Helen Kirkham. I'm a footwear designer and artist based in London. Um, I have a studio there in Hackney, East London, where I basically take apart shoes and put them back together again. Um, I work mostly with recycled footwear and yeah, kind of do this deconstructed, reconstructed sneaker thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm Alex Nash. Um, again, like Helen, I destroy and rebuild shoes. <laughs> um, I uh, started doing it many years ago and kind of, I guess, developed a skill. Um, just a general creator of things, not just footwear, but whatever comes into my mind, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Last but not least. My English is not good. <laughs> That's uh, his name. My English is Japanese. Yes, so Shun is from Japan, and his English is not good, as he stated. I didn't say that. But he has a translator here with us. 
、はい<笑>えっと、日本の渋谷で、えっと、20歳の時から13年間コブラをやっていて、えっと、スニーカーをカスタムしだしてはまだ4年ぐらいしか経っていないけどまあなんとかラッキーでここにいます。<笑> Um, my name, well, his name is、um, Shun Hirose.、Um, he, is, he is from Shibuya, Tokyo, and he started off as a cobbler when he was 20 years old. And he's been in the business for 13 years. He started sneaker customization just three, four years ago. <laughs> All right, so I think, in order to give, I think in order to give some context to what we're here talking about, let's just. Cut to the chase and let's unbox. We have fresh pairs of the shoes here. Each grab your box and let's do a proper unboxing so that everyone in the audience can also see what you guys have been working on. So, first, let's do this unveiling. I mean, don't look at their feet. Just look at, just look at what's in the box. All right, yeah, you could. Sorry, everyone just started taking out their shoes.、Oh, and, and do I just have to speak about it or just take it out? You will later,、oh, for right, sure.、Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But just hold it for now. Yeah, so that everyone, this is the first time most of these people are probably seeing the shoes. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, you can, as you can see, it's three very different shoes, very different executions, but they're all based on the campus of which I'm wearing the OG edition of right now. So, you can see when they talk about destroying and reconstructing shoes, they definitely did that in their own unique way.、Um, I think I want to start at the beginning. Like, how did you guys get the call from Adidas to be like, yo, join us in Maker Lab? I think each of you have your own entry point. So, do you want to start that off? Uh, yeah, so for me,、um, I just got the call from Jose and、uh, he came down to my studio to explain the project to me.、Um, but I have an interesting story because I actually used to work at Adidas、um, Originals for one year in the design team. And then、um, I left to start up my own studio and now I am back by yeah, doing yeah. this project. So、um, I've had a really nice kind of journey through always being affiliated with Adidas and working with Adidas products. Did you, out of curiosity, did you know Jose when you worked at Adidas? No.、Isn't、I n t that you, interesting? I don't think you joined then. You oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's a, really, it's a、yeah. really interesting point that like, you just you never know. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just because like, someone didn't know you, you never know when you're going to get the call later for something important like this. Yeah, 100%. That's、yeah. why you always have to be nice to people. <laughs> <laughs> Words of advice, for sure. <laughs>、uh, Nash, what about you?、Um, uh, I guess, really, it started 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that That's it? <laughs> yeah, 13 years ago. I met Jose. I thought you were an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> well, it feels like it, like the resurgence. But、um, it started 13 years ago. I met Jose when I was working at Maharishi. And、uh, it was at the start of my customization、uh, career. And he really liked what I was doing. And we sat down and we had lunch.、Um, and he took me through his book, his journal,、mm-hmm. which really inspired me to do my journal. and Pencil drawings and stuff like that, and then、uh, he disappeared. <laughs> I, didn't see, I didn't see him for like 10 years, <laughs> like, more, yeah, like 12 years, and then I get this call out of nowhere last summer、uh, Can you do a Maker Lab? I'm in, in Sicily with my family having holiday.、Uh, can you do a Maker Lab?、Uh-huh. I'm like, Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.、Um, uh, when、Long、is it? Yeah, in, yeah. in three days. Okay. <laughs> and then since then, I've done like two, we did like two maker labs together.、Um, uh, basically, I kind of fell out of the industry, and Jose kind of, 
you know brought you back he brought me back and and really like that first maker lab was like a one day event and and the next day i was just like oh what am i i, I just wanted to what <laughs> i wanted bug, to make something i was back. like i got the bug back hard yeah, yeah. hard hard and then um and then i think i hit him up like two months later i was like mate I need something to do. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? He's like, I've got something for you. And then we did another event in Paris. Yeah. With each event, it kind of like, I, were, I saw you there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the first event, I was just like there to kind of help facilitate uh, people like yourself or consumers and media to show them uh, the, the process from, yeah. you know, uh, from inspiration to d- design to the manufacturing in the basic form. And then with Paris was another customization where we had to, where I was taking more of a supervisor role mm-hmm. because we had like very um, highbrow fashion ateliers. Right. Uh, and I had to bridge the gap from, from their skill set to the customizer, uh, to the sneaker world. Yeah. So, you know, showing them how to apply their skills to the sneakers and showing, you know, the customers how to, you know, utilize the ateliers. So bridging that gap. And that was a week event. Yep. Uh, and then, I mean, pff, this project, you know, again, I was on holiday, <laughs> interrupting my holiday again. Uh, Either important. you're always on holiday or his timing's impeccable. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think my friends will tell you I'm always on holiday, but that's not true. Uh, it just, my Instagram gets more interesting when I'm on holiday, <laughs> so it seems like it. Um, so then, I mean, really, it was really unexpected. Uh, you know, uh, when I initially started customizing, uh, it wasn't held in high regard. Uh, the the it, art of customization. The art of right. customization and, and the de- my destroy and rebuild and juxtaposition between hybriding yeah. and soul swapping and so on yep. wasn't held in high regard. And I was doing stuff that brands were not allowed to do yeah. themselves. Uh, they had to follow regimental guidelines. They're not allowed to switch this upside down, mix shoes. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in a way, that kind of discouraged me from the industry and that's why I fell out yeah uh, and then uh, so for Jose to kind of come out and bring me back in and at a time when brands are doing that mm-hmm. you know the evolution of what I was doing is carried on until now and they embrace that and they embrace creation was yeah. like a big nod to me and affirmation of what I've done for, for decades for decades yeah. <laughs> for the I mean, industry I, for, I'm not saying that you know what they're doing now is amazing it yeah. really is cool I mean, for those who don't know, if, you, if you're listening to this and like, you don't know who Alex Nash is, you should really do your Google homework because he's one of the, the pioneer architects of customization you know, for 20 years ago, easily, right? 2003, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, one of the uh, first guys. So yeah. what, that's what you mean when you said you came away and then like, Jose had to like, pull you back in. Yeah, yeah. By the scruff of the ear. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're searching uh, Nash Money, Nash was money. my name back then. Yes, <laughs> I don't yes. really use it now. I'm a bit more grown up. Right. <laughs> I'm not American. So. <laughs> All right, Shun, what about you? Uh, hi. Uh, もう
place. So Shun, um, use, he, he does it still, uh, customize all sorts of sneakers for major brands. And he uploads the finished product to his Instagram. And because he does that, he gets, um, frequently gets letters from big brands, competitors of Adidas, uh, claiming to sue, sue him, cease and deceit, deceit mm. letter. Right. Um, so when he first got the email from Adidas, he saw the Adidas like logo, he thought it was another threat, <laughs> another lawsuit threat. And he was um, quite nervous, but the email said, it was from Adidas Tokyo, uh, they wanted to meet him to talk about this project. Uh, he hadn't heard of the project before. And um, he, yeah, he went over to the office and they had a nice chat. Was, was he scared when he went to the office that they were going to try to kill him, naturally? <laughs> he was still a bit apprehensive. Mm. Right, right. It was like almost like a, a, it's too hard, it was too hard to believe that it was, you know, they, they asked him to join his project. Yeah. So I think one of, the, one of the firsts of this project that I mentioned earlier was the speed of which this project took place. Um, Helen, if you could sort of take us back on a chronological timeline of like, from the moment you got briefed on the design project mm -hmm. till, you know, talk us through like the number of days or weeks that occurred throughout. Yeah, so it was, it was very, very short, even to the fact when we first got contacted from the project, it kind of was happening within the next couple of weeks after we got contacted. So I uh, remember when Jose come, came to the studio and he's like, oh yeah, I'm in London, like, I'm going to come to the studio. So me and my partner are like frantically trying to clean up the studio and like mm -hmm. sweep and Jose's walking up the stairs and we're still like sweeping the carpet. Um, so that was already a rush. And then from that point to when we got to Germany, it was maybe like two weeks from when we first got the wow. intro. Um, and then, yeah, it was basically, we were in Germany for one week, then we were in Vietnam for one week. And that was it to create the um, entire project. So yeah, we really got thrown in at the deep end. And yeah. you know, a lot of us didn't know each other. We knew each other's work, but we uh -huh. didn't know each other personally. We didn't know the wider Adidas team, production team, film team. So everything was um, new. So we really got, um, thrown in quite quickly into the whole thing and then yeah. and just to give yeah. you guys a context like for a project of this magnitude of this scale when you're dealing with like a billion dollar organization usually just the contract negotiation before <laughs> you even get started could be like three months of just lawyering so the fact that like in a matter of weeks you were already like working yeah. and like flying to Vietnam to check samples is already showing like how crazy this project yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And everything we made in the Maker Lab was like turned around that same day. So we had to submit things by like 3 p.m. and then the developers would work on the uh, shell patterns, get it out to the factory so that the right. factory could make us a sample ready for us to see when we got there. So everything was like super accelerated much yeah. more than normal. Nash, to my understanding, one of the first things that you were sort of provided access to was the archive at Herzo, right? Yeah. yeah Talk yeah. us through like what that what that was like being able to see pretty much like the entire DNA of Adidas. Uh, in the I'm room. still buzzing from that experience. <laughs> so, like, I wake up every morning and like my brain is like ticking. Uh, yeah. You still got the white gloves? Like, yeah, they yeah, give, yeah, they're in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> they give you these white gloves. You can't touch shoes without the gloves. It's amazing. Um, well. And so that was really like to kickstart yeah, the inspiration, I mean, right? I tell you, so basically, 
I mean, what, you know, what Helen's referred to about the contract was a great thing, you know, get out of the way. Right. And get also working. made a bond with, you know, kind of lay out the relationship ahead because it was like, Everything was on the table. Mm -hmm. uh, any issues we had with the contract, we sat down and spoke about it, and it was just done, 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 done. Wow. Like that. So, you know. Unheard of. Unheard of. <laughs> but as soon as you get that out of the way, that's, it's all about this project, it's all been about creativity. Yeah. So it's just focus on creativity right. and trust as well. Like, that, that affirms a trust, yeah. you know, like give and take. And then from being told a project, a very brief, brief, from it, like before, <laughs> <laughs> from before you know, we got there, it was like, right, one shoe, you're gonna design one shoe based on the campus, it's gonna be made in 333 pairs, and you know, mm -hmm. there's XXX, yeah, yeah. right? So I was quite busy prior sorting some stuff out. So the first thing I did was doing lots of line drawings of the campus, so mm -hmm. I knew the design of the campus for every stitch. Yeah. You know, just understand it to, intimately. You yeah, know, like, deconstruct the campus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just draw it. Uh, and then when we got there, we had a, a, an intense briefing, which was like, for every design you submit and hand it in by two or three o'clock, we will sample it. I'm like, are you, are you nuts? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, like... <laughs> every design? <laughs> like, I know. Because you, like, you thought there was going to be one submission and that was it. Yeah, and you just work on the design on yeah, that yeah, one yeah. design. So, like, yeah. going, you know, leading up to the, to the actual project, yeah. I was thinking about just my one design. Mm -hmm. uh, and in my mind, it's quite easy. The, in, the, in the theme that I designed, the, yeah. my customization style and juxtaposition, yep. uh, it's quite natural. Yeah. Now you're telling me I can do as many shoes. I've got, like... Like 15 years of pent-up aggression of not being able to work with brands, <laughs> like just going like, Wah. and then you put me in a room in the archive for inspiration, and you go through like, it's the, like the, you know, it's, I swear, oh my gosh, like it was just, uh, you know, they, they, you know, it's like the broad history of Adidas, then, yeah. then more in depth into the 80s with. Uh, Footwear and apparel and culture, uh, you know, and street culture and what you know was the fashion in the 80s. Then into 80s footwear, then into the 90, uh, 80s, yeah. the campus 80, you know, and it was just like, oh my, my brain can't cope with this. This uh -huh. is like, and then straight immediately after that, it's like go to the Maker Lab and there's like 10 different shoes. Yeah. Immediately there that I'm like, right, this is my mood board, and it was just, it was just in, yeah. Was that, I mean, the archive, I, I can't, you know, I, I'm going to drop this mic. Does, does uh, Shun want to add something to his initial experience? Debra knows her story. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we've been through like two interviews and all of that. Yes, so okay. I can, he can leave it to me. So after he received the email from Adidas, he had just 10 days to fly out. And he had so much, um, so many orders from his existing clients to deliver, mm -hmm. he had to finish all the shoes up. So it was really hectic yeah. in those 10 days. And he also didn't have a passport. Uh, he had an old, uh, outdated expired one, expired one. one. <laughs> he had to do all of those, uh, those things. And uh, he went out to Harajuku to buy the four uh, colorways of cam campus. Mm -hmm. They were available in four colors in Japan, um, navy, red, uh, gray, and black. Mm -hmm. So he bought all four of them to test them out at his workshop with uh -huh. his own machinery. 
And uh, so Shun is a soul specialist. Uh-huh. Outsole specialist. Outsole yeah, yeah. specialist. So uh, he customizes sneakers by fitting them with boot soles. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to try that out, test that out in his workshop. Um, so he did that. He brought two samples with the boot soles over to Germany. And, um, you know, he, he knew that Adidas didn't have this um, customized style before. Yeah. Like the boot sole sneakers. So he wanted to do that. Uh-huh. But when he was in Germany, they told him he couldn't do that. <laughs> so he was like at last. Uh, right. He like kind of wasted his time by making that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> well, no, they're, they're pretty sick shoes. Oh, I they, wouldn't they say a waste of time. They yeah, 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 yeah. But they still, but they still have some samples. Ah, but he still has them in Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. But later, Adidas told him that he could muck around with the boots, I mean the soles, mm-hmm. but he's like, oh, that's, but I'll just, just do like the upper, upper yeah. panels, so. Right. It all, it all went well. Yes, right. it did. Um, Nash, I understand that there was a deadline for the submission, and you were the, out of the three designers, you were the one that went to Vietnam with sort of like the least yeah. preparedness. Talk about this a little bit. So it kind of stems back to like my, plethora of mood boards yes. and ideas uh, so because I felt comfortable with the Nash one I kind of left that aside because I felt like I could get through that pretty quick but mm-hmm. I started focusing on all these different designs and concepts uh, and then very fast the week went through and I was like <laughs> oh right you can't really submit like five shoes a day it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not happening yeah uh-huh. you know, I'm not superhuman uh, and then by the time it got to the point of submitting the one that maybe I should have gone with from the first place, which is inspired by me and the themes on me with a kind of collaboration with Adidas yeah. archive, I basically got to Vietnam Monday morning just submitting that design. Uh-huh. So I was already three days. So in effect, I made the shoe in a week. Yeah. All right. Wow. Uh, and I mean, I had two other samples there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One was really strong, yeah. really like, it was like my backup plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the safer option, but really like, really, really nice. I loved that shoe. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like it kind of was a true expression of the collaboration between Alex Nash and right. Adidas. Like it wasn't pushing it hard enough. No, I mean, right. it's, a, it's a standalone shoe in a shop. Yeah. It would do well in a shop. Right. But it wasn't like, a collaboration. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then the other one was the Baker shoe, mm-hmm. and I couldn't do that one because I wasn't allowed. Uh-huh. Uh, so you, yeah, yeah, I kind of had to bite the bullet and just go yeah. with an idea that I hadn't, and just kind of right. close my eyes and gone with it. You it's know? this is this is part of the trickiness of doing something. Like it's one thing to do Maker Lab where you're just making a one of one for yourself, but now you're making something that is going out in the market. So you have to deal with things like Shun and the legality of the outsole. And even in your final design, you were telling me about a legality of like the three stripes that you had to contend with. And yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. did a really good design yeah. like workaround. So explain that real quick. So basically, um, every day when we were doing, well, just every day of the project, we had meetings with legal, or if it wasn't us having legals, it was uh, David or Leo having meetings with legal, seeing if our ideas will pass. Yeah. Uh, and one of the criteria, which is such a shame because I think it can, you know, like basically the Adidas stripes cannot be functional. Mm-hmm. There can be no function. It's purely Decorative. brand. Yeah. You know, to demonstrate the brand. So I think originally the EQT uh, um, 
support mm -hmm. uh, was a function. This detail here on the strap going through here, joining to the laces, was a kind of like... Uh, like a reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. reinforcement. Uh, but that's a no-go. So, you know, to overcome that, we had to kind of put some hidden stitches in. So therefore, the stripes are not functional. They're just decorative. But it's like a trick of the eye. It's still it, it is a trick of the eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, so um, the lawyers told you you can't do this, and then you went back and just found a solution yeah, I mean, that allowed you to keep doing that, it. Uh, that was basically the project for everyone. Everyone involved. <laughs> everyone involved. The lawyers are a collaborator, actually. Well, <laughs> I, I actually did pitch them an idea. <laughs> Uh, so, you pitched the lawyers an yeah, idea? Yeah, no, like on the third day of being like, no, you can't do I was like, how about, right? How about you write some legal jargon, some disclaimers, uh, and I'll print it on the shoe. Uh, right. And then when it goes to court, you just like, it's there. It's, it's there, written, right? yeah, yeah. You can do what you want with the stripes, yeah. Um, they didn't, I'm sure they and, didn't like that idea. Well, they chuckled and said no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. Right. Um, and there were a few other things that I had to, couldn't do. Yeah, yeah. Um, being that the shoe is kind of dual branded with like uh, ZX 8000 and ZX 500 uh, mm -hmm. fabric and the uh, EQT, I kind of wanted to dual brand it. Yeah, so yeah. like uh, originals branding, performance branding, torsion right. branding. Which is uh, tough, Which yeah. is not a, you know, I kind of wanted to <laughs> break the mold on that yeah. one, but it didn't go Helen, um, speaking about that, were there things in your design that, um, you were told wouldn't work or couldn't work and then you had to like mm. throw the hammer, throw the Helen hammer down and... Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, you don't want to see that, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, as Alex said, like we all came across like different hurdles. Um, for me, I guess the biggest challenge was that my own work, everything I make is bespoke, same as these guys, you know, and it's all one of one and every, everything I use, the material has this really like authenticity to it. So um, I really wanted to make sure the shoe felt, had that feeling, mm -hmm. even though it's a mass produced product. So yeah. I really pushed the factory a lot to try and hack their processes basically to see if um, those things were possible. So um, for example, on the sole was probably the, biggest the time I had to take a little five minutes outside um, because um, essentially this like fringe that you see here on the sole is from the mold process so it's like a two-part mold and when it um, squashes the material like seeps out of the side so you get this like ginormous fringe around the edge and obviously the main one is like really big and sometimes it even connects the two shoes together so it's not really perfect mm -hmm. but um, but you sliced that off. Of, You're yeah, supposed to slice so, that off. So this yeah. is the thing. When I went and saw the process, I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then I saw the um, girl there slicing it. And I was like, oh, can I have a go? And they're like, yeah, sure. So then I sliced it really badly because obviously I had no idea what I was doing. And it was really wonky and wobbly. And then I was like, cool, I want it like that. Yeah. Um, and they were a bit like, oh, Helen, no, we can't have it like that. It's <laughs> not possible. Right. Um, and then not only that, but I also wanted to add this. So you can see at the top there, there's like another fringe here. Um, yeah. And then, you know, after I was told that I couldn't do either, I was like, they were like, oh, you can just have the bottom one. I was like, no, we need to have both. So in the end, we, um, the factory, amazing guys at the factory managed to, to be able to do both. They're um, also different. Like every single one is cut out yeah, differently. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like they created a mold to make no, it look like a mistake. And that was, I think that was something really <laughs> difficult for the factory to be able to um, get their head around. Yeah, yeah. Because I was really like, no, literally you just sit there and just do it really wonky. 
Mm-hmm. And they were kind of like, oh, we don't know we're how to perfect. do wonky yet. Um, because obviously everything they do is so incredibly perfect. So um, so it's kind of that element of being able to get that bespoke nature into a mass-produced product where yeah. every single one of these is going to be slightly different. Mm-hmm. And to the fact that when I opened my pair, on mine it's like super cut up and wonky and I was wondering if they knew that it was my pair so they did it on purpose. <laughs> like really, really bad, really there you bad, go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a thing and then yeah, folding the stripes onto the tooling was something that had never been done before um, but I really wanted it to look like the stripes were like unpicked and folded down. Yeah. Um, this on the toe is the actual size label. Uh-huh. So if on you look one on side that, only. yeah. So it's usually sorry, steal that off you. It's usually like inside of the tongue lining yep. here, which where it is on most shoes. Um, but because the way that I constructed this shoe is from all the pattern pieces of the shoe are in a different location. So this is actually the tongue lining. Oh. So therefore, I wanted the size label to be as it would be on the actual tongue I lining. I see, clever. So on the left shoe, you haven't got a label inside the lining because the only way we could get around that legally was to have there could only be one, only size one label. sticker right. so this one's on here and this one's on the actual lining what a pain in the neck so were. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i did put them through their paces a little bit with all those things but um cool that's just a few stories there's so many more but yeah i know so there's a <laughs> there's a documentary film that is out um that you can watch the full story it actually we're going to premiere it tomorrow um so you could get the full detailed behind the scenes stories of all the the agony of defeat, <laughs> the spoils <laughs> of victory, everything. It's amazing. Um, so what I want to do now is bring on some of the Adidas heads that were part of this project to help make this happen. So if you guys could kindly shift Leave. down. No, 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 <laughs> sit here. Sit. It, this is like the talk show where like you slide down the sofa. <laughs> and then we'll bring on the next three guests. What's up? What up? Are you all mics? Mics? Yeah. Mics? Oh, mics? Mics? Okay, cool. All right, so now we have, you know, Maker Lab is all well and good. Oh, no, you guys can sit, sit here. God, you guys are not shuffled off. Jesus. Shouldn't sit here. Shouldn't go in the middle. Yeah. Go on the edge. <laughs> Sorry. They're like all in the corner. Um, okay, so, I mean, the Maker Lab project is obviously all about celebrating the creator, right, and where that stems from, but there's still a machine behind all of this that has to, A, make it come to fruition, and then, B, make sure that after it comes out, it's not a complete debacle, right? And so I think, <laughs> and fingers are still crossed on that one, but uh, we'll we'll yeah, see. we'll see. But let's, let's introduce yourself. You, you three guys were instrumental in making this project happen from the Adidas side. So from yep. my left, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Jose Cabasso, and uh, I'm a Maker Lab creative director. I'm Tarek Naslawi, um, I'm senior director of digital innovation at Adidas, and I'm the program lead for Maker Lab. My name is Johan. I'm director for Statement. It's the part of Adidas that does the collaborations for the brand. Also, I'm heading up the consortium, which is like a series of shoes uh, catered for like top retailers around the world. Cool. So, Jose, let's start with you. You seem to be, after we heard from some of the creators, you seem to be like the guy who, who uh, shot out the bat signal. And you were like, okay, I got to get these guys now, right? Yeah, so, it was talk- a combination of myself and Johan, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, Johan was, uh, uh, I did uh, pick up the, the phone for, well, not me, a colleague of mine. I asked her to, to call uh, Helen and um, uh, Alex. Yeah. And then uh, we were looking for a third uh, uh, designer, and uh, Johan brought uh, uh, Recouture. Oh, okay. Uh, Sh- uh, yeah, I've, been, I've been following Shun um, on Instagram for a bit, and uh, I'm like, you know, I was always kind of thinking, you know, I, w- I really want to do something with this guy. 
Um, I didn't know it was a guy or a girl at the time either. Just like, you know, <laughs> right. just like recouture. And, and then, uh, and when this opportunity came up, I'm like, yo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the then uh, Johan and I went in a back and forth because it was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, Johan, because uh, if we bring him, I know exactly what he's going to be doing already. So because he has a signature. Because look. he is yeah, yeah. doing that uh, thing uh, of uh, the the toolings and all that, and I was like, okay, we'll bring him, but we're going to tell him that he's not going to be doing that. <laughs> Just <laughs> to push him. We're going to push him into a totally different territory, and uh, he was game for that, so yeah. that was cool. And also, part of the conversation was like, because campus has such a big cultural following in Japan, mm-hmm. I just felt like as a bonus to have that representation um, will be such yeah. an important part, just a documentary and just, just having the culture of campus just coming through. Right. Yeah. Like multiple franchises, right? Yeah. Uh, before they die, they have a last shot at life right, in right. Japan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they always because the, it's uh, a great culture yeah, that keeps alive is, yeah. so much uh, of uh, the DNA of uh, brands that uh, tend to be neglected or abandoned very rapidly. Yep. Uh, and so it was important for us to, to definitely tap into the region. And I thought it was uh, uh, an amazing uh, uh, outcome to have uh, Shun join us. Yeah. Right. Talk about why Maker Lab exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look, I mean, as, as a brand, like, I would say that it's been for quite a while. Mm-hmm the idea of being you know, the creator sports brand yep. and really trying to be the, 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 the brand which creators would gravitate to, to become part of. That's, that's actually become part of our DNA now. It's been mm-hmm. a, a long journey to get there and you can, you can look at a lot of breadcrumbs along the way. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned at the beginning as well that it's, it's new but it's not that new. Right. Um, so you know, we, we, this place is really kind of the, 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 the first real major Physical, manifestation yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, but what we realized is that when we look backwards, we start to spot the things that are really resonating. And with what we're doing now with Campus 80s and what we're thinking also for the future is we want to try and find out more and more ways that we can open up our infrastructure, open up our assets, open up our talent for more people to leverage that as well. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we have to create everything as the brand. You know, <laughs> right, right. To put it like that. And there's so much creative capital out there. I mean, it's, it's also an honor to be in the room with all of you guys because I, I would consider this to be a case in point Yeah. Um, that it's kind of almost wasteful to centralize all of that stuff and not mm-hmm. make it accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea really is that we want to create a platform where people can access all of that and right. grow and transform. And you know, if you guys watch the documentary, you'll, you'll also see that it really celebrates this, the, the ups and downs of the creative process, the courage it takes to create as well, to stand behind your ideas, to fight with you know, where the edge of the envelope is. Um, and through that becomes, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a deeply, human, it's deeply human act. It's yeah. a deeply human story. So um, not only is it um, you know, something which is good for like, you know, reinforcing who we say we are as a, the creative sports brand is something where we actually think it gives an opportunity for people to really grow. Yeah. Um, and we want to do more of that. And, uh, you know, and, and as you can see from the outcome, the outcome is fresher. It's, it's, we would never have come up with these shoes right. ourselves. Right. And that's what we want is unseen innovation mm-hmm. to, to come from this process. So, so Jose, when, you, when Maker Lab first was invented, right, some four, three, four years ago, or maybe even more behind the scenes. Well, hundred years ago. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you could say uh, that, yeah. But was this moment with these three creators on the blueprint on day one? 
Uh, no, uh, I think uh, <laughs> it looks like it looks perfectly like well, perfect. Well, if you look at it when it started internally, it was uh, about uh, uh, like you the said, internal stuff. Uh, yeah. um, get people back into. Uh, materialization, tactility, 3D uh, behavior, uh, shaping, form, draping, uh, fluidity of materials, mm -hmm. uh, um, a solid uh, uh, structure uh, that you can build with, uh, with them yeah. um, and uh, accelerate uh, uh, with that uh, or trigger with that uh, new languages right. uh, and new uh, outcomes. And it was a, a success. Uh, not only got people excited because uh, you probably spend too much time uh, on an iPad or a Wacom or yeah. a, a computer uh, doing a lot of uh, line art uh, right. and uh, you don't get uh, to see uh, in an immediate way mm -hmm. uh, what does that look like in 3D. You have to wait for the first sample round and the second and the third. Yeah. And you go uh, on a tremendously long time of back and forth that you can uh, get rid of. Yeah, and there's a disconnection between your yeah. idea and the shoe itself, because yeah, you're just totally. sort of like waiting for it to come back. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so um, when uh, we do that and we see the, the kids inside taking over mm -hmm. and uh, the excitement to get your hands on, uh, we went on to a consumer facing. Yeah. And then uh, there's hundreds of kids inside right. uh, uh, coming out and getting excited about doing this. Uh -huh. uh, and so it's clearly a, a destination that it's contagious in terms of uh, discovery, mm -hmm. uh, exploration, also releases you from uh, working on existing CADs that are in itself uh, a boundary yeah, for right. you to not uh, Fill in the cross colors, over. Yeah. Right. Uh, and this opens up uh, uh, new patterns, new uh, approaches, new forms, and uh, yeah. we, we kept going on it. Right. Amazing. Johan, I got a question for you. So these initiatives are always well and good, but if they don't return fuel back into the mothership, they tend to die really quickly. So it's up to you guys to also figure out how this becomes available to the public, how people can actually buy into this, right? And you know as well as I do that in this day and age, there are so many ways to cop highly desired shoes these days, right? There's like drops and lineups and raffles and you know all this stuff. There's another first that is happening with this Maker Lab project, which is the way you guys are actually releasing the shoes themselves. Can you shed light on how these are dropping? Yeah. Um, so you know, the the kind of one, one of the key words for this process was like a decentralization, um, and we wanted to um, you know put the power in the in the hands of of the creators that we wanted to work with, and part of that process was also the valuation. You know, like. Mm -hmm. We know how much normal campus costs, and a lot of that is based on historical data. You know, um, if you ask, you know, the, the the value versus the price, sometimes there's there's a discrepancy. Yeah, uh, and we're working with three individuals who make their own individual pieces, and it's usually handmade, one-off things that are pretty much affordable, unaffordable to many people. They're like priceless. Yeah, for the most part. I yeah. mean, they you can you know, but it's you got to pay for the yeah. you know, to commission that, right? Right. Um, but it's we have this thing where now you take something that's that that's usually only available to one at a time, and if you want to get a, a shun's shoe, like you have to pretty much travel to Tokyo and then get it made for you and wait mm -hmm. to get that happen. Yeah, um, you know we were able to produce that for a certain amount, but we still wanted to keep that idea of decentralization, which is why um, we wanted to sell it in the like, kind of like a blind 
Dutch auction, uh-huh. um, which so, is like... Yeah, these that no MSRP, essentially. No MSRP. So even the price, we want to leave it up to, you know, the, the fans. People. Yeah. You know, the people who resonated with that design, um, you evaluate it, you know? So it's, it's not us to say that's how much this is worth because, you know, it's kind of like when you... Uh, when you're an artist, even, or, or when you try to evaluate um, a, an artwork, it's almost kind of, who, who are we to put a value on that, mm-hmm. you know? So we wanted to do that, leave it up to the, the market in a way, market forces, you know? So we have a limited supply. Um, we see what the demand is like, and, and uh, it's going to be interesting. So I want to see, you know, what that really turns out into. Aren't um, there people at the brand and on the creative side, maybe, mm-hmm. that are scared shitless of this idea? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Not about that only, about everything. I would say that, like, it's, it's funny. So Johan's describing basically the IPA process, right? Yeah. And we're working with StockX to bring these out. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't something we thought of late down the line. It was something that was actually really important from the very beginning oh, okay. for us to think about like, yeah, we're going to try and disrupt internally how, 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 stuff is, yeah. <laughs> uh, how stuff is done, how stuff is created. Right, and sold, yeah. And sold. And we, yeah, the go-to-market process, the retail process, it had to be different. And so, you know, when we first started um, kicking around the idea and we got into a conversation with uh, StockX, it was quite interesting, like, how this IPO mechanic became something which, you know, they had in mind and we had in mind because, like, we were like... We need to do something different. Mm-hmm. It needs to be something fun, right? Yeah. But it also needs to be something fair, uh-huh. right? You know, and that's why, you know, the IPO mechanic is something which, you know, like you have to bid what you think is right. Right. You know, and yeah. you don't know what everybody else is doing. Right. So it's your true what you think is the value of this product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So much you're willing to, yeah. uh, to yeah. put down for it. Right. Uh, right. And it's not it's not just highest bidder wins, right? No. So t- explain how that's going to work. Yeah. So. Um, basically, like, there's a limited supply of these things, yep. right? So 333 pairs for each of the designs. And, you know, on eBay, it's normally like there's one thing and you bid and, like, the highest bid wins and yep. you can kind of see if you're in or if you're out. This works a bit differently. This, you just decide what you, what you want to you wanna pay. Um, for your size. For your size, right? But basically, once you, once you have everybody bid in, mm-hmm. and there's only 333 pairs, right. You stack up all the bids, highest to lowest, mm-hmm. and bid number 333, mm-hmm. that sets what's called the clearing price, okay. right? And everybody who bid higher than that just pays that. Oh, okay. Right? So it's kind of, there's a bit of thinking to do, right? Like, you could bid like a million bucks because you're like, I definitely want a pair, and I know there's, there's gonna be 332 other guys or girls who make a bid, and, but yeah. I wanna definitely get one. Right. If everybody else has the same idea, that's what, Guess what's going to happen, right? You know, but someone's going to jail. Yeah, <laughs> Their well, credit card is uh, maxed out. So, but then on the, on the flip side, you know, if you think, oh, I could just be what I think is fair, yeah. right? Then and you lowball it, you, you you don't stand a chance. Right. So that's why it's like it's it's taking the wisdom of the crowd here to set a price that thinks fair, mm-hmm. and that actually is not just we'll drop it for a campus plus a little bit, yeah. and then everybody will try and buy them and then flip them in the resale market anyway. Uh-huh. Right? We want these guys to directly benefit as well from yeah, yeah. from um, from the the price that these things um, sell at. Right. It's the first time we do it, right? And I think you know, even for StockX, I, I know that they've done this once or twice before, but it's still in early days as well. So mm-hmm. um, we're really learning about how this retail model uh, works, but it felt like a good fit for this project. Yeah. 
Jose, um, talk about a little bit how, I mean, what's really interesting about Mako Lab is, as you said, it started as an internal thing mm -hmm. for staff only. Then it actually went out to like a full democratic thing at events and like hype fest and stuff where like just any kid could come in and make a shoe on their own. Mm -hmm. And then you, it seemed like you took learnings from that and then brought it back in to do the iteration of Maker Lab that you see now. Yeah, what, is the, what is the next evolution? Uh, the next if evolution. You do you already know? Uh, well, we, we have uh, all of us have dreams, right? <laughs> and uh, we would love to think about uh, uh, the best uh, yeah. uh, scenario possible. But one thing at a time. We've been coming on a, a journey that started internally, moved into um, generating a destination like the Brooklyn Farm. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw the um, benefit continuing to, to grow. We took it to 747, uh, uh -huh. monster success. We took it then to launch POD, <coughs> great. Then uh, uh, Hypefest, mm -hmm. then uh, Intersect, then Paris Fashion Week. At every iteration, it was never the same thing. Yeah. There was always a fundamental uh, shift into the ingredients, into uh, the type of people that are uh, invited to uh, have an opportunity to be a part of. The franchises changed at everyone. Yep. Uh, 747, it was pretty much uh, uh, seven or eight uh, uh, toolings mm -hmm. and uh, absolute freedom on uppers. Uh, so it was a lot of uh, on-the-spot patterning. POD was focused on POD, yep. but uh, we were launching the new one when we brought in some toolboxes from the original one. Yeah. Uh, so it was remixing the old and the new. Then we go to Hypefest, uh, was on the um, uh, Oswego's, yeah. uh, and uh, then we move into Intersect, continue to carry over those uh, franchises. And then Paris Fashion Week was to launch uh, uh, for the SC first Premier. time the SC, SC Premier. Premier. Yep. Uh, and, but this time mixing in, uh, like Alex uh, uh, told you guys, uh, uh, eight uh, artisan uh, uh, specialty uh, craftsmen mm -hmm. uh, that work in the fashion industry for uh, sometimes uh, almost 100 years yeah. uh, in the business that worked with the names nowadays at the doors of the brands when mm -hmm. they were still alive. Uh, and we mashed up uh, that uh, super old craft with uh, uh, a new crowd. Right. And now for the first time, and finally, because all these iterations were about uh, either one shoe, mm -hmm. a left side or a right side, yeah. and you would put in your shelf and you would be super proud uh -huh. of all you could brag in social media, right. uh, but it would never see the light of the day. Uh -huh. And we saw too much value on the ideas that were coming to the table to be left to abandonment, right? Mm -hmm. So. Uh, we finally got to this place where we go, okay, this time we go to go to market and we focus on three people. Next time, uh, one thing we know for sure, we don't want to go back to just uh, inviting people to work and do a shoe that sits on a shelf. So guaranteed that whatever we do next, we'll go to market. Yep. How are we going to do it? Is it going to stay at uh, three people? Is it going to open up to uh, 30, 40, 50? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's wait and see. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> One more thing that I wanted to bring up is the actual documentation process of this whole thing. Right? Yeah. There's like that was another aspect. Yeah, there's like photography, videography, docu yeah. documentary. So from the designer's standpoint, you guys are still mic'd, so you you can talk. <laughs> but like, so out of you know, in, on top of the brief, on top of everything else that had to happen and the speed, they were like, by the way, here's a camera crew that's going to follow you around for the next two yeah. weeks. How did that affect the design process? I'm sure it had to have like affected the whole environment. Really, really yeah. annoying. <laughs> no, it was really <laughs> annoying. 
No, I mean... Now you know what it's like to be like a reality star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <for the media. laughs> um, uh, it was another spectrum to the project in the sense of... Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think again, it's a testament to the people involved, mm -hmm. you know, from Adidas to the photographers to the filmers. They appreciated that we had something to do and it was difficult and vice versa. We appreciated, you know, they had something to do and we're, you know, a team. Yeah. You know, it's a team effort. Yeah, we're the, the names of the project, mm -hmm. you know, on, in the video. But, you know, there's so many people behind the scene yeah. that made this happen, you know. Right. All the amazing people at Adidas that, you know, they're doing this as a side project on top of what they have right. to do. Yeah, they're yeah. doing it for the love. Uh, and then, and they made it really, you know, everything, you know, we all compromised, you know. If they said, we need you all day tomorrow, and I said, look, I'm really stuck here. Uh -huh. I'm going to be here tomorrow. They would say, oh, okay, right. right. You, you do your thing. We'll work around that. We can do it another day. And I would say, yeah, let's do it here or there. Right now, this is my creative process. I need to be here doing this. Yeah. And they never, no one got angry, no one <laughs> quibbled. They might have cussed me out behind my back, uh, but to my face, they were nice. <laughs> you do your thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was an added element to yeah. the... Shun, Shun, how do you, how does, I don't know if you finished answering you, but does, does Shun used to having like a camera crew in front of him as well? <laughs> So, um, just as Johan mentioned, that Shun is a really secretive person. Mm -hmm. On Instagram, <laughs> you only see his work, his shoes. You don't really see him. And he likes to keep it that way because he's quite shy. But joining this project, he was required to um, do required. all sorts of... <laughs> do all sorts of uh, things he usually wouldn't do, like um, shoveling in the sand pit. <laughs> yeah, for like the, the video. Drowned in the box. And, and, and It'll make sense when you when yeah. you're <laughs> in the video and like uh, submerging himself in the bathtub <laughs> and all of that. What is this, like a fraternity hazing? <laughs> what were you guys doing to him? <laughs> submerging him in a bath? <laughs> when we went to, uh, after this, we were um, uh, looking at the three of them as three uh, characters that we needed to separate so that you don't... Uh, um, end up finding yourself uh, um, investing in the overlap mm -hmm. because they all overlap uh, in uh, uh, backgrounds, uh, skill sets, uh, mm -hmm. love for sneakers, and they are all making a shoe. So we wanted to tap into, uh, if we wanted to laser focus on one trait of personality, Shun was the zen, minimalist, secretive uh, guy that uh, uh, spends hours looking at a shoe, spinning it around, uh, quiet in his own head before he goes and says something about it, uh -huh. right? Uh, Alex already told you, and you can see how that looks <laughs> like working, uh, is all over the place, a million ideas, too much uh, absorption of information, wanting to do eight shoes, not just one that we were hoping for, uh, <laughs> and that defined his personality of being this guy that is uh, trying to do a lot of things and struggling to contain his ideas, yeah. uh, but always finding a way to ground himself into, uh, let's get shit done. Yep. Uh, and Helen, uh, 
very clear uh, from the beginning about uh, deconstruction, reconstruction, uh, not uh, reconstruction in a way that it's uh, what you would expect, but uh, by displacing the patterns. Uh, but she is kind of a mix of uh, Alex and mm. Shun. Yeah. She has a very clear idea of what she wants to do, but then she's all over the place like Alex, <laughs> trying to get to the place that she is wanting to do. Right. And uh, the outcome is these three amazing things that you see here. Yeah. Um, that um, we surrounded, like you said, with a crew of people uh, from our teams uh, uh, on the ground with them, developing, uh, development, project management. But we picked, hand-picked a crew that was this photographer and then this photographer because he doesn't just do photography. We pick him because he starts, uh, he's an image maker that starts with photography, mm -hmm. but then has layers of deconstruction of photography in order to create images. So right. we also picked a photographer to match, for example, your work. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we uh, knew that his base would be the starting point for uh, Alex and Shun's capturing, but right. we wanted to add then another layer of his treatment mm -hmm. that ended up being dominated by how we portrayed uh, Alex. So you didn't so go with the usual... We, don't, like we didn't go to this uh, as usual, let's uh, hire an agency or tap into an agency of records that we may have already and right. commission them to execute the documentation of this. Uh, we want uh, people to understand that Maker Lab is not just a footwear design platform. Mm -hmm. uh, it's as uh, relevant uh, uh, apparel, uh, graphic design, retail, uh, communication. And so we picked what we thought would be the best people in uh, different areas to come together, not having ever worked together, right. all of them, and add to the hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> add to the unexpected. And uh, the outcome is, uh, I can tell you, uh, without hesitation, uh, a team of... Uh, 15 new best friends that uh, came out of this. Uh, and that's the most uh, important thing in the end of it. Hel Helen, do you agree that uh, the ancillary team was a huge part of this equation? Oh yeah, 100%. I think um, as these guys touched on, when we got there, we had no idea what to expect. And suddenly, oh, this is the production crew, and this is the film crew, and this is the photographers, and these are the Maker Lab people, and these are the developers. And you're like, eh. Um, I won't remember but, any of your names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, the more we got to know people, we, you know, we built up a rapport with them. And, like, as Jose said, you know, these guys selected everyone so carefully. So we realized that everyone was in this project because they cared about the project. And that really... I guess like put us at ease a little bit because we knew that we could trust in the process and we knew that whatever was going to come out of the end was going to be good and exactly as Jose said you know we spent a week together in Germany and a week together in Vietnam and it was like it was very intense even just to be around the same amount of people for that much t the same people for that much time yeah so you know to actually come out of that being mates and you know having this collective experience and you'll see from the video it starts with me like in the pub <laughs> and I didn't realize that was going to be the start of the film and you know we're all just having like a heart to heart and I'm basically saying exactly what I just said now mm -hmm. um and you know the guys decided to put that at the start of the film so I think in a way that just summarizes all of our emotions in this project and we really um yeah we could trust in it which was kind of a relief yeah all right well put Okay, so these yeah. shoes. Oh yeah, you want to add something? One thing yeah. on that, like like uh, Tarek mentioned earlier about um, the IPO being a part of the process from the start. Mm -hmm. The documentary was also part of the process from the start because, right. um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you guys can imagine, but like, there's there's so many, there's so much drama that's happening behind 
any new release or any new creation. Yeah. You know, it's not just like some robots putting in a new color and it comes out. Maybe that's the case for some. <laughs> but um, you know, we stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we we really wanted to know. We knew this is going to be special, and we knew we wanted to show like just what goes into making bringing something to life. What it takes to go from one production and the, and and how much like effort it takes to go from one to like 333 right. it seems like not that much mm -hmm. but how much it takes and, and how large that. a yeah. team how big a machine it takes to be able to bring that to life right um and and also i think it it really gives a bit of background to the shoe you don't just see the shoe as it as the shoe uh -huh. you see it for you see it connected to the whoever made it you see um, the behind story of it, yeah, you know. So, to me, I, like from a marketing background, I I kind of call it the um, the Breaking Bad effect, you know, where where um, you know you you watch this guy um, from Breaking Bad, you know, develop into develop <laughs> into the Alex, character. Not you. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> no, not yet. I'm saying, but but you watch you watch this guy develop, and even though he turns out to be this like pretty bad guy at the end uh -huh. you still kind of sympathize with them you kind of want him to do well mm -hmm. you know and like i'm like if that can work for a meth maker maybe <laughs> it'll work for shoes too you know? <laughs> but this is something that you know we've we've always been talking about like how can we really bring people into that process how can we you know pull the curtains back yeah. and show people the process and i think that's kind of the spirit of maker lab that's as well. the most inspiring thing yeah yeah and uh if if i had to uh, pinpoint one uh, uh, thing that makes all of this uh, worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever is the 333 value of uh, the bead of the size, uh, uh, aside from a group of people that uh, bonded uh, and came out uh, of this uh, with uh, relationships and stories to tell forever. Uh, it's like uh, one thing that Shun said, uh, being the reserved uh, super uh, contained uh, uh, guy that he is uh, that thought that never uh, was never going to leave Japan and Shibuya mm -hmm. um, because uh, uh, was putting probably too much uh, uh, um, power into uh, his inability to communicate in another language. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fact that this experience makes him come out of it saying that uh, he now just wants to go out in the world and uh, uh, grow uh, and enrich uh, his skill set with uh, all the culture that comes from different uh, sources. I mean, that is priceless, yeah. right? So uh, that in the end should be uh, the takeaway for everything that uh, anyone gets their uh, hands and heads uh, around it and uh, uh, goes through it. Word. So these shoes will go IPO on StockX on the 15th? Yeah. At so night, what time? Do you know? Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Okay, nine p.m. Yeah, on the fifteenth. That means by the time you're listening to this podcast, you can go to StockX, bam, the plug and right see there. how it's how this whole experiment has turned out. And we'll, you know, we'll see if these guys have jobs by then. Even better. <laughs> even better. Uh, Really, thank you guys for for coming. For, yeah. it's a, a day off at school that you made the effort to keep it on. Uh, <laughs> not just uh, um, happy to have you here, but uh, happy to welcome you all tomorrow at the uh, the party as well. Yeah. So you're all invited. All right. Uh, you just need to leave us uh, the names if we don't have it already. It will be at the door. Uh, please uh, check uh, with some of us uh, the address, but you can come.
All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you very much. Are you ready to be? Okay. So we got. We have a microphone on a very long stick. <laughs> and if anyone has any questions, raise your hand and the stick will come to you. All right, we have one right here. Um, I guess a question I have is, obviously you all have very different cultures, so how did the culture that you come from uh, influence the shoe that you designed and then also just more generally your design practice? Awesome. Who wants to start? Go on, Alex. How does, I'll sum it up for you. Uh, how does your, the, your cultural background and upbringing affect the shoe that we're seeing here right now? Mm, nah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I guess, um, I don't know, I guess uh, sneaker, I mean, sneaker background kind of stems maybe, uh, it's not really, well, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on this one actually. Um, I feel like I could answer this for you. Yeah. Oh yeah, well go for it then. You, to me, you're like a, a shoe historian. You're like the librarian at a sneaker museum. Yeah. And your shoe to me is like, the, if, if you were able to, to glean off all of the education you know about sneaker design from yeah. decades, like it all went into your shoe. That's what I, I feel like. Yeah, pretty much, but it's not determined from where, I, where I'm from though, right? Oh, well, whatever. yeah, okay. That was the bit I was struggling I don't, with. I don't think she meant like your upbringing. Right. <laughs> but yeah, just, yeah, where you came from. Yeah. But that to me, I mean, like, do, did you yeah, feel I mean, that way? That, like, yeah, that... for sure. Uh, you know, growing up, I had big love for like moccasin shoes and boat shoes yeah. and, and obviously sneakers. Um, and yeah, I guess a lot of it actually stems from the playground, what was, you know, the shoe to wear on the playground and mm -hmm. so on and so on. And then, uh, and then there was this like other story about the clubs. So like in the early nineties, it was like no, no sneakers, no hats, no hoodies. Yes. Uh, so I just thought, you know, just imagine, I mean, I already come up with the concept, but then like, you know, the marketing mind of mine was like, just imagine you made a, a shoe, a sneaker that a security guard didn't know was a sneaker or a shoe. He was uh. like, uh, uh. Oh, go on, go right, on, right. go on, go on. <laughs> I mean, that's obsolete. I guess only the old people would know about that rule. Uh, the, the yeah, because now you have days. to wear sneakers to get into a yeah. <laughs> You don't get in with dress shoes on yeah. now. Uh, Helen, how about you? Yeah, I think for me, um, I guess going back to like my own personal history, um, my parents are very creative. So my dad is a design engineer and my mum used to make clothes. So I always um, was obsessed with very tactile things like you uh, looking at materials and fabrics were always like in my house and like my grandma taught me how to knit so you know I was always like playing with fabrics and then my dad is very engineer based so he actually makes stair lifts um, but you know he is super what does he make? stair lifts you know like that helps like, old people oh, wow. yeah Stana. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, so he is very technical. So th those kind of two things combined for me in a way that I didn't know that footwear was a thing that you could study. I always wanted to, was thinking about doing fashion and then maybe architecture, maybe product design. And then I stumbled across um, the University of Northampton, which basically does uh, footwear design. And Northampton is like a home for footwear in the UK. Um, 
And I saw their course and I was like, oh my God, this is perfect because it kind of combines everything that I'm interested in into one like perfectly formed product. Um, so that's where I started looking at shoes and then getting into sneakers, I kind of, I started with these more traditional shoes and brogues at Northampton. And then I wanted to make a sneaker because I didn't know how they were made. And so I started taking them apart to understand how they were made. And that's where I got this kind of deconstructed um, aesthetic from and then yeah, that just kind of like blew up, I guess, and people were really interested in what I was doing. So then the more I did that, when I came to this shoe, I really wanted to try and get all those elements across in a way that seemed authentic to make parts of it, as we were saying earlier, that are still one-off. So everybody's shoe is still unique. Um, and you also have a chance to customize it and play with it yourself. Because I think that like, for me, when people contact me on my Instagram and they kind of say like, oh, I've made this shoe inspired by you, I find that that's the, the best thing that I can do to inspire people. So, um, you know, I wanted to make on the heel tab here, it has like a um, little stitch, which you can cut. And if you cut it, then it like, you get like a heel tab reveal like this. So you can choose, but once you've cut it, it's cut. So you can't put it back unless you choose to fix it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I wanted to put these little elements in there, things that you can change. And even Jose said to me earlier, as soon as I get my shoe, I'm cutting this fringe. <laughs> no, not the fringe. I'm cutting the, oh. the tab, not the fringe, the so, fringe. So, you know, I wanted to create a product that inspired people to play with it a little bit as well. And she, and she I, think, I think Helen even inspired like, factory people to be creative yeah, that, exactly. that aren't used to doing that. Yeah, you know? and it's everybody's own little touches, you know, the person that made this, and even it has on it a um, factory tag, which is basically when you get a sample, you get this tag and you write detail. down the, the comments. And this is the real comments and remarks from Lynn, which was one of the um, girls that worked in the factory. And she just wrote this like beautifully neat comments, which is just so different to how I like do anything. So I was like, oh, that's so nice. Let's scan it and let's make it into a feature for the shoe. So I just wanted to try and, you know, include, I gotta I gotta show you everybody the favorite on part. the project. This is Helen's box. And there's a po when I got this in the mail, I was like, oh wait, See, they left a post-it on it. And I was like, what the f I was like, what the hell? It's like part of the packaging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this was actually really nice. My uh, When I was designing the packaging, I said to my intern, George, I was like, is this stupid or is this nice? Like, I think it's cool. It's like a real post-it that I actually wrote like while I was in the factory, I was inspired by that. And then he said to me that if he got this box, he would feel like he was part of the process. And I was like, boom, that's going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Shun. Hi. 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 <laughs> so, um, coming from a really Japanese, uh, an upbringing, Japanese upbringing, he thought that the, uh, the original campus shoes that were sold in Japan, uh, they were made in four colors, and they were all in sweet leather, and he thought that those four colors were actually, a, bore a really close resemblance to Japan as a nation because they were really subtle, subdued colors and Japan is, is a nation like that, like the Japanese people are subdued, um, they're really calm and gentle, so, and also like there's some elegance to it. So he thought he should keep those four elements, the four colors in them. And um, also, so, like, well, but at least the four are all the so also Japanese people are really precise. They're known for precision. And um, the theme of his shoes, his shoes is a mistake. So he wanted to reflect that in the theme, like an anti, 
theme thing. Um, he when he de when he had the shoes deconstructed, he didn't have like the order, the steps to put them back. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't given like the numbers on the plan, mm -hmm. the blueprint. So he didn't know how to put them back because usually when he gets an order to customize someone's shoe, he deconstructs them. So he knows how to put them back. Mm -hmm. But this time the factory did it for them. Mm -hmm. they, they did constructed the shoes for him, so he didn't know. And being Japanese, it's like, oh no, my where's my order? Like, oh no, my rules. <laughs> so he did something totally opposite. He, you know, went out of his comfort zone and that, you know, gave way to this final product. Nice. I love the the detail of uh stitching the tongue on one of the sides only between the eye stay and the three stripes mm -hmm. and the medial uh, pattern. It's a really awesome detail. Yeah. And, and, and I think um, campus was always like, had a big following in Japan. So even when the, the popularity of campus dipped in Europe and, and US, so um, you know, maybe like you don't really see those on the shelf anymore. In Japan, because it was still so popular, uh, we, we had carryovers that were carryover is like the industry term. Yeah, we were just the same color over and over again. Yep. Um, exclusive to Japan. Mm -hmm. So those four uh, colors, you would always find that. Japan 4 or something, what's it called? Is yeah. there a name for it? Yeah, so there's the four, yeah, Japan 4 Campus um, 80s. And, um, you know, it doesn't say campus on it. It's just four colors, always available in Japan. Wow. Um, and, uh, and Shun, when he first came to Germany, he just wanted to get more samples to play around with. And he goes to the store expecting to f see these shoes everywhere because that's how it is in Japan. And he comes to Germany and it's like, oh, these shoes aren't here. Where and which, which is where, where he found, which is when he found out, it's like a, it was Japan kind of exclusive oh. carryover. Um, and for him to put those four in one shoe to me was like, it was, it was such a cool idea just yeah. to represent uh, where he's coming from. So I think to, to answer your question, like, to me that's like the embodiment of like kind of representing Japan and maybe what his craft is as well. Yep. Um, I think we kind of veered away from your question. So, <laughs> <laughs> we have any, any other questions? Yes, uh, in the middle. Yeah, you. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I find um, with the kind of emergence of these kind of custom sneakers, it seems like um, the designer is almost kind of has free range in that they don't have allegiance to a certain brand. So if they choose to make one pair of shoes or they choose to make a few, um, I'm just curious how it felt to bump it up to 333 pairs to one shoe, to one brand? Mm. That's a good question for Helen. I yeah, think I was going to say, I think for me, it was super exciting because um, when I work in my studio, I work with recycled sneakers, so I kind of take whatever I can get. Um, but it was so exciting for me to just be, you know, with Adidas on this project because, you know, you have those things that are so um, synonymous, you know, the stripes, the trefoil, all those sort of things. So it was super fun to play with that branding, which I think was a bit of a struggle for the legal team because all of us were like, great, let's play with the stripes and let's play with the trefoil. And then they're like, ah, no, please don't. Um, so, um, exactly like that. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, for all of us, that was, that was super exciting. But um, in terms of going to the 333 pairs, I think I kind of touched on it earlier. I just, it was quite scary. And you'll see in the documentary as well, there's a point where I kind of like have a bit of a struggle with that because everything I make is so unique and I was what I really wanted to make sure that the product that I gave to the consumers and to you guys was had that same feeling and it didn't feel like that was taken away so um, yeah it was a lot of challenges but as we said earlier the team were were there to help and especially the factory team were amazing and the development you know when I really put my foot down and said this needs to be like this they were like okay we're gonna do it and you know it, um, it happened so 
Um, yeah, I don't yeah. Know if that kind of answers your question. Any other question? Yes, lady in the back. Hi, so Shun talked about this in his stories. This is more for Helen and Alex now. What inspired your color story for your shoe? Um, my color story? <laughs> Which color? <laughs> it was the crayon box of 72 colors. <laughs> I let my uh, youngest go for it. <laughs> no. um, so basically, so the concept of my customization when I first started doing it was bringing kind of shoes and footwear and sneakers together, like formal shoes, you know, brogues or deck shoes and moccasins. And those, those shoes are more earthy kind of colors, browns and blacks. And that's what I've done here in a juxtaposition of color. So, you know, sneakers are very loud colors, bright colors, you know, so I've mixed. And, and, and that goes through to the fabrics. So there's kind of a traditional nubuck in there in brown tones and then mixing it with like meshes of sneakers and then colors, bright colors. And uh, I think that's kind of true with all my works in the past. You'll see that there's a real play with color. Um, also, it was a nod to Adidas because I feel personally, I think some people look at me weird when I say this, but um, uh, Adidas have a, a, uni a different take on color, I think unique to other brands where they put colors where, you know, on paper, I feel, and, and, and I think this is more of a nod to the archive of Adidas as well, as well as now, you could see very different take on color, you know, in the 80s and 90s, they would put obscure colors together that on paper or even on the shelf wouldn't work. But once you got them on your foot, it would just blow your mind, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I tried to do here overnight, was mix like, I think 14 different colors together <laughs> <laughs> and have one guard. So, yeah, yeah. Clearly you see he loves ZX colorways. You can see probably two colorways there. You see a little not to EQTs. EQT, yep. You... Yep. And then there's the, like, the kind of new buck brown of a normal kind of moccasin shoe. Yep. Where's the purple come from? Shut up. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just like another color. Just, I mean, I started, I was like, look, you know, you can't have like, you can't have five colors. That would look weird. You know, like you need to go out of your way to have like 14 and then there's a story in that. Uh, maybe. Right. All right. And then, and then there's Helen with 18 yeah. shades of white. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, overnight, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, all the samples that we've done are actually in a kind of gray color um, and that was because like again when I work with materials in my studio I use the materials that I get so I never impact the color I always just use the color that I get so when we got mm -hmm. given the uh, samples to take apart they just happened to be this gray new book so then all the samples I kept creating were in this gray color um, and then you know I was thinking about it and I was like oh I don't know about gray like I don't really you know, I'm not sure about that color and I don't know if I would wear it. Um, and then I kind of thought back to my own process and how, you know, with everything I do is about the process of wearing something. And with white, it picks up marks and memories in products. And actually, I was just looking at your three yeah. shoes in the front row earlier and I was like, oh, those guys' shoes look so nice. I need to take a picture. Um, <laughs> because those sort of processes of wearing are, are really important to me. So, um, so I thought that white kind of made sense. And going back to this 
tab, you'll actually see on here one of the changes is change colour to white. So that was the third pullover, 13th of the 7th, which is probably like two days before the end of the project. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, guys, I want to change the whole colour. Is that okay? Thank you. Um, so, yeah, and I wanted to, again, nod to the different materials. So you've got the nubuck, you've got the suede, you've got the leather, and all those are kind of different tones of white and even the reinf eyelet reinforcement So, and the lace. So, yeah, just to show the kind of different personalities of the white, in, I guess, and then uh, hopefully they'll get a bit more messed up as you, as you wear it. Mm. Cool. All right, I think we have time for one more question. Front row. Yeah. Um, so my question is about the uh, creative process. Like, with the three of you guys being so different, right, during this design process, did you guys collaborate or share ideas or bounce back anything? Or was it, like, you guys working on your own thing? Uh, no, that's, uh, that's quite a good question. Um, I think specifically for us, I mean, you can see in the end result of our shoes there, we have different, very different styles. And I think we appeal to maybe, you know, there's lap over of appeal with people, but, you know, we have our demographics uh, and styles. Uh, and I think, you know, every day we would, I mean, we bonded, you know, really, you know, we, we were in the same situation. We had the same fears, the same concerns, the same battles with legal and, and where we were going to go. So, you know, we actually formed a real friendship. We were there for each other. Trust, there was like highs and lows in every stage, you know. You can imagine that someone is better at one stage than the other, you know, and it's constantly up and down. When one person is down, the other person's up, but then, you know, we're looking out for each other. And uh, every day when we were uh, coming up with our designs, we would sit at a table and we would brief our designs to each other and designers alike. Uh, and we would all have constructive input. You know, I would be an open book. I, you know, I, I remember cutting you down once and I totally... You said, you said that I was trying to put too much stuff in the shoe and maybe you need to like relax a bit. And I was like, I was like... <laughs> no, but like, it was even busier than this. And I was, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm doing it. Stop, you're right. And then like, I remember being in Vietnam and being like, mm, Johan was right. <laughs> I should have listened to him. I sound like a complete prick. But, uh, you know, and being that, you know, Adidas have their way of uh, doing stuff and they're learning about us. But, you know, because we have this mindset of, we can kind of relate, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we would give each other, you know, if Helen was stuck on something, we'd be like, Shun and I would be like, you know, oh, maybe you could do it this way and vice versa. Helen would, you know, or if we were down, they would pick us up. And, you know, so there was always, you know, there was, it was just great teamwork, you know. Yeah. We never felt competitors or anything like that. And I think if someone that was invited to the group that was more my style, you know, like a sneaker demographic doing sneaker, you know, you'd feel a bit like, oh, what's he doing? Like looking at his stuff, being like, <laughs> spilling your coffee on his work. <laughs> <laughs> but with this project, it was like, I think, you know, in every aspect of the, you know, from the camera guide, director, to the, you know, all the Adidas people, it was just so perfect. I mean, that's, that's Jose and these Picking guys. The right, yeah. The right collaborators. Yeah. Shun, did, does Shun want to add something to the co-collaboration process? Yeah, um, so Shun's final product is definitely the um, outcome of everyone's creative output. Um, one of them, he has a few examples, one of them is this number on the shoe, at the back of the shoe. Mm -hmm. This was from uh, Helen's suggestion mm. of putting the numbers on the outside. So, um, and also 
he mentioned earlier about the shoelaces. そう、<笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑> <laughs> Can I just say when you guys when you guys were in Vietnam, it must have been like hearing Nash talk first. You almost have to like close your ears, and then hearing Shun, you have to be like, oh, like it's like, all right, man. <laughs> just saying, you know, like two, two totally different personalities. Um, Helen, you want to answer that one too? Um, I've actually forgotten the question. I'm really sorry. What was it again? <laughs> Oh, the co-collaboration. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Jennifer's little input there. Um, yes, it was very collaborative. I think, um, kind of as these guys said, but going into the project, we really didn't know if it was going to be competitive, you know, are we going to have to, like, hide our ideas and, like, mm -hmm. put our big inspiration boards, like, back to back and, like, hide in a little corner. Um, but as soon as I met these guys, you know, we realised we were all in the same boat and we were all in it together and... Um, we do all have overlaps in our aesthetic, but they're also all different. So I think actually being um, friendly with each other allowed us to collaborate better and almost allowed us to like push ourselves into our own section even more because um, we weren't trying to copy each other or compete with each other. And I think that was um, what was really inspiring also about this process because it's another thing that's different to how other things uh, have been done before, you know, just to show, celebrate all three of us equally and not try and put a difference um, on it was was really really nice and um, as Alex said as well that you know all the team were super friendly and helpful so um, everybody just wanted the best for us so I don't think it was maybe like the first day we were a bit daunted but once we like met each other and we all like had a beer and we're like oh god do you know what you're doing no I've got no idea do you know what you're doing no I've got no clue oh my so god then we were, so, and then we were all like okay cool we're all in this yeah, together I, I could so also I could have like imagined even before you guys went to Vietnam because like I've been to factory trips before as you as you have when you're working with the brand like it's a crazy hectic day at the factory but I just already imagined like after the full crazy day you guys go back to the hotel and just share a beer together mm. and like how much support that just would have given you know, like I think if it was on your Whilst own. Whilst being filmed, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always. Always. Yeah. But I, I think that was, that probably would have been a source of kind of moral support, I think, for each other. Yeah. Um, and I think that was something that we wanted oh. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, oh no, what's oh, happening? No, it's the automatic uh, thing of the farm. Right? I think that's that's uh, us telling us we gotta wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. All right, Party well, thank time. you very much, everyone. That was great. <laughs>
they were like just overwhelmed with the the fact that people were bidding on their sneakers. I'm not sure if you got a chance to chat with any of those guys. Mm-hmm. And then we saw like over the course of the the 72 hours that it was running from like we really got like a big run in the first day and a big run in the last day as well. Okay. So by the end of this process, um, to sort of get to the punchline, there were around 10,000 bids on these three pairs of sneakers, and in the end, the average clearing price for the campus sneakers that these guys uh, designed was over $200. I think 205 okay. actually, to be precise. Okay. Across all three. Across, across all, all three. Size. But the interesting thing also was that it was pretty even across the three. Mm-hmm. So we actually had like a pretty even split of bids. And around the average, I think the clearing price was plus or minus around $10 or so. Yeah. Right, so we had like Helen coming in around the 195 mark. I think it might have been like 196, um, and um, actually, I think Alex has cleared at around 216, and Shun's around 202. And we had no idea like whether these things were going to come in close together or or far apart, right? But what we kind of took away from that was, you know, there were three quite different characters all looking at this shoe in quite a different way, and each of their designs resonated with probably quite different groups of people out there um, and the difference, the variety in those designs, you know, there was, there was some take on the campus that was relevant for an audience out there. Mm-hmm. So we were pretty happy with that um, and, you know, 10,000 bids, like, remember, these, these guys are making firm credit card commitments at that point. I, f- I remember you talking about that um, when we were doing the panel there, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to bid a million bucks on this thing, um, that's a firm commitment, right? Um, I'm actually yeah. kind of deciding that I'm willing to pay that up front. It's not a vote where it's like, it's not a like, it's like a firm commitment to buy. Right. Um, yeah. So we were pretty happy with that. And you know, remember that, the, you know, what is the retail of a, of a, of a inline campus? Like 90. 90 bucks? Yeah. Right. Depending on the market. So we're talking, you know, more than twice the value of your run of the mill campus. And even some of the more uh, sort of pinnacle expressions of that shoe would probably be around the, what? 100, 110, 120 max. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at these, these shoes clearing for around the $200 mark, then we see that as a, as a pretty clear indicator of, of what the, the appetite for these particular takes on it were. Yeah. Jose, from when you were talking to the creatives, how did you get a sense of how they were reacting to people bidding directly on their designs? Um, they were obviously excited, right? Uh, it, it, it was the moment where we went from uh, imagination of what this would uh, turn into to them uh, living for the few hours that we overlapped in the same location and uh, witnessing the beads coming and uh, uh, who was uh, ahead. There was that uh, cool, friendly, uh, I'm getting more beads than you. Uh, oh my yeah. God, you're getting uh, amazing amount of beads good for you and so it was cool to see that uh, um, happening live uh, for those hours and uh, obviously uh, uh, a back and forth that uh, continued over the next uh, 72 hours um, right. like Tarek just said it was uh, really interesting uh, um, to see uh, the parity 
for the appetite uh, um, between the three shoes. There was not uh, one shoe taking off uh, and leaving the other two behind in uh, um, a large number separation. So the, the balance and the desire for uh, the shoes as a whole and the, the story uh, having uh, equally captured uh, the, the interest uh, around the three designers' shoes, I think uh, it was uh, an amazing thing to see because um, for me, the way I choose to read this is that regardless of uh, three amazing shoes that came out of this uh, uh, thing, there was mm -hmm. a story that uh, uh, keeps the three shoes together that was mm -hmm. um, uh, distributing uh, evenly the interest in having these shoes. Um, right. And uh, um, I know of people that uh, were bidding for the pack And so this notion that uh, uh, all of a sudden you're not uh, uh, selling just one designer over the other, but you're telling a story of uh, three people that uh, for over a certain amount of time uh, embarked in this journey together, uh, it mm -hmm. almost turned into this being a pack that we were not planning to, to be taken as a yeah. pack, right? And, uh, and that was a, a really interesting thing to, say, uh, to see happening uh, um, uh, throughout the days and even posts. Yeah. Uh, Tarek from, and Johan, from the StockX side, were there any like, like bot issues or people trying to hack the site or was it all pretty technically smooth from their side? Yeah, we didn't really have any issues with any of any of that at all. Um, when it when it came down to, to to bots, like I think, what you can tell from the bid count as well, and like you know, each bid is from a recorded account, um, so it wasn't it wasn't an issue for um, mm. for this IPO. And, and also, like the mechanics of this IPO is that having a bot and putting multiple orders doesn't increase your chance. Um, either way, you know, there's one clearing price and whoever goes on top of that. So I think also that discourages the traditional method of mm. just having all the votes on a specific set retail price. And yeah. also for, for, the, for the people that are bidding it, the IPO process is more of an equitable way of assigning value that's more realistic to market conditions. So that means mm -hmm. there's less upside potentially for retail price versus resale price. You know, this right. in essence should be in long term equal to each other. So I think that combination with this bidding mechanism where you're allowed to make one bid per that, it's just not worth the trouble. Has that happened yet where recipients of the shoes have now put it back on StockX for resale? Oh, yeah. It has happened, yeah. yeah. It has happened. So you can see, I mean, you know, any, anybody listening and, and, and you, Jeff, too, can, can always go on StockX and you'll see exactly what's going on. You know, you can track, like, the transaction volume and what the shoes have... Um, been selling for, and I just had a quick look before we um, before we got on the on the phone here, and you can see that um, actually these shoes in the in the in the days since the IPO, they've been holding their their value pretty pretty well. You know, like mm -hmm. sometimes you'll see things pretty much straight after they um, after they launch, they'll they'll start selling below retail, and some they'll be selling above retail, and you know you see some pretty interesting transactions here, like. You know, Alex's shoe, like a few pairs have been selling up there above $500 um, in, yeah. the, in, the, in the after um, market. It's incredible. Um, sh you know, Shun's, not, maybe not so many, but, you know, a couple of people have been willing to part with more than $1,000 for, mm -hmm. um, for um, a certain sizes of his shoe as well. And, and the same is true of Helen, you know, 
you know, three hundred, four hundred dollars as well in the in the yeah. resale market. But I think you know, as Johan's saying, the the IPO mechanic itself means that you know it changes it changes the baseline for what you're speculating on. If your if your plan is to buy these shoes to flip them. It's a, it's a very different baseline because now you've got other people involved in setting the original price. So, in the end, and I think Josh has talked about this as well um, around actually bringing the mechanics from the resale market with the primary market have an interesting effect, which I think we're observing here, which is actually when people pay what they think is fair for something, yeah. um, then actually it removes room for some exploitation perhaps of mm-hmm. you know you know buying low and selling high mm-hmm. exactly um, so and you know that wasn't the reason that we came into this as such but um, i think you can you can see that um, yeah effect at play okay so overall do you think we're going to see more of these ipo releases from adidas I think it's a good question. We don't have anything planned at the moment to do more of these things in the pipeline, but we we took this as a learning experience, and I think mm-hmm. we're still f- figuring out how the, you know, how the IPO is played out here. This is a really small volume collector's item, mm-hmm. um, and I think we need to think about the launch mechanics in a in a in a bigger picture, yeah. right? Because you know we don't always launch things um, like this. I would say it's not impossible. It's, it's certainly possible, but. We want to think about how this kind of fits in the bigger picture of what we're trying to do overall with MakerLab as a as a creation platform. Yeah, and of course, you know these kind of launch mechanics can can be deployed whether you've done a MakerLab creation or not as well. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit more to think about. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, especially when you look at like um, I think the IPO mechanic works when there's a highly limited quantity, uh, and the variable is the price. Mm-hmm. When you increase that net quantity, I don't, I don't think the IPO mechanic um, has the same level of impact that it would. So if you have 10,000 pairs available versus 333 for each one, I think the mechanic is very different and finding a suitable price for that. I, I, I still imagine it can work. It's just yeah. that, you know, for us, it was just a way to experiment with Finding the most equitable way to bring a valuation to a product to market. Right. And that was right. the key learning that we had. And it'd be interesting if, um, if you know, you mentioned 10,000, but it'd be interesting if the consumer didn't know how many pairs there were. That would also be another interesting piece to the puzzle. Right. I, I mean, I, but I don't think that would be a true IPO in that sense, because I think in order to fairly evaluate and assess the value of something, you have to know what the supply is. Um, right. And, and I think, you know, it's like any currency or any, any, you know, precious metal or whatever it is. If you don't know the true, if, you're, if we're not transparent with how many is actually being produced, then I think people will not be able to fairly and accurately evaluate the product. Right. That's yeah. true. I think it might, be, it might be fair to say, Jeff, that like with the, when we think about the different mechanics you can use to launch something, um, we definitely don't have all our eggs in one basket on this one, right? So the IPO was something we definitely wanted to try. So mm-hmm. fixed supply, open price, and maybe there are a couple of other things that we want to try as well. You know, and you don't have to look that far. I mean, think about things like, um, you know, um, you know, Kickstarter years ago. I've already been thinking about like you know threshold funding to bring something out. So it kind of gives you an idea of like different mechanics that have been tried out there for democratizing. Um, the way that um, product gets, you know, brought to market. So right. we're constantly thinking of new ways to um, 
to, to bring things out because the way that you get a product is part of the meaning that we attach to it. You know, always has right. been, always will be. Um, so we definitely want to, you know, just keep innovating there. Yeah. Jose, how about from uh, the creative standpoint of Maker Lab in general? How do you see future ones? Are there future ones planned? And also, what did you learn from this first one um, that you could take away to maybe try to improve it on the next round, if there is a next round? Um, uh, well, um, uh, one of the best things about this one is to see uh, a very uh, early ambition since uh, first activations of uh, Maker Lab uh, in, in regards to take to market something coming out of an experience like that. Check, we've done it in a really cool way, surrounded with, by an amazing story, an amazing experience, properly documented. Um, that's uh, a great uh, uh, validation of what we believed since uh, pretty much first uh, activation uh, of Maker Lab that uh, um, whatever comes out of these experiences has its value uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we should try to, to take it to market and make it accessible. Um, so um, whether Maker Lab uh, is going to continue or not, whether is uh, the next uh, iteration in the works already or not, I'm not going to uh, unveil that. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, um, uh, certainly uh, there's uh, um, validation here that whatever it is that we will do next, uh, we will make sure that we carry over the best uh, uh, practices of this one, right? So we're Okay, great. Well, thanks, guys. This was awesome to hear your post thoughts on everything. Um, we're going to keep our ears tuned and our eyes on, on peel for the, for the next iteration of how this might look like. You want any, any parting thoughts, any parting words? Um, I mean, for me, I was like, I, I was quite inspired by, you know, I mean, for those who haven't, who's listening to this podcast and haven't been able to, to watch the documentary, it's on YouTube for free. So um, just search Adidas Campus 80s Maker Lab documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the comments, because usually when you go to YouTube comments, it's not the bastion of humanity, you know, that <laughs> yes. you see in those right. comments. But like how supportive these comments are. And like I, I didn't find a single negative comment, which is like wow. a unicorn, you know? Yeah. So it's like the people's reactions to this one was like really, really inspiring. I think people really liked the way um, it was brought to market. I think maybe the, the shoes models, it's obviously polarizing. You know, people like models, people don't like models, but like, I think the way it was brought to market and the way, I think there, there's definitely, you know, positive response to this. Like one quote I'll, I'll read is like, it says, okay, Adidas killed this. I love that each designer brought something completely different to the process. Seeing how each of their minds work when approaching a project like this was crazy interesting. Also so dope that they got real people who actually live and breathe shoes involved in something like this. You really got an in-depth insider look at all that goes into making a shoe. You know, so I think That's those awesome. are I think just having that positive sentiment is is for us fuel that that you know helps us to, you know, keep on pushing with these type of passion projects. Yeah. Awesome. Can we all right, can we cheekily ask you a question, Jeff? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, you you kind of you were there, right? You saw yeah. the sneakers. You saw the IPO. You heard from the creators. You've seen the documentary too. What's your take on what went down? You know, you see a lot of stuff. What's going on in this industry? So, yeah, I think it was. Uh, 
revolutionary would be the word that I would use, like just all the different things that occurred with this from, you know, the design process to the transparency to the release of it to the event. It was all just a lot um, and a lot of good. You know, I I was telling some of you guys backstage that like this was almost like like so many good things wrapped into one project that even if you isolated any one aspect of these things, it would have been like an incredible project already. Um, but the fact that it all happened within this one singular project was just incredible. So I, I couldn't poke holes and say like, oh, maybe you should have done this, maybe you should have added that. But no, it was, it was all good all throughout. Yeah, that's the beauty of a platform like uh, Maker Lab, right? It's this uh, ability to explore in multiple areas all at once. Uh, yeah. Even if the, the shoes that you're executing and witnessing the execution are the thread, uh, but uh, from uh, the way we chose to capture the, the, the components uh, uh, from the brand, outside the brand, documenting this, telling this story, it was a pretty unique, uh, uh, amazing experience. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for your Thanks, time. Guys. Uh, Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for being yep. with us. I'll talk to you soon. See you around. Oh, cool. See you. Take it Bye. easy. Bye-bye.